Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And rescueswimmershop.com, official high quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razor, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they help. Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring the silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at RescueSwimmerShop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, rescueswimmershop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. Up next is another brother from the U.S. Coast Guard Rescue Swimmers. His short time in the Coast Guard left him some very memorable rescues. He gets to share them with us, and I am totally stoked to hear him. As usual, I was blown away. So please welcome our next guest, 
United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 280, Mr. Jason Orsborne. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. I've got another rescue swimmer from the Coast Guard with me today. His name is Jason Orsborne, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 280. What's up, Jason? How are you, man? Hey, Quinny, how are you? I'm excellent today. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. Thank you for coming on. I'm looking forward to sharing your stories because I've read them and holy smoke, dude, they, I, I, I oh, dude, I'm, I'm just stoked to get into it. So thank you. Appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, so you and I actually have never have met other than now, which is, is one of the cool things about like our rate, you know, that the whole brotherhood thing, but at the same time you get, you know, a couple guys that, you know, cause you weren't in, how long were you in for? I was in, so I joined when I was 17 years old and, uh, that was 1988. I went to boot camp 8888. Eight, eight, eight. Exactly. Easy to remember. Dude, that's um, and then I, uh, I was until 1995. I got out in 95. Um, when I was in, uh, at air station, San Diego. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you were out before I even got in. I came in in 97 and then uh, went to summer school in 99, graduated 2000. So, yeah, cool. And that just shows how few of swimmers there are. If I was number 280 and I graduated swimmer school, I, uh, I was class 4291 and you're number 500. And then uh-huh. you, went, what year did you go to swimmer school? Uh, 99 into 2000. So we graduated of wow. March of 2000. So they just had about 200, just over 200 swimmers graduate in a decade. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy, Crazy, right? Like mind blown. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, that's one of the things I actually love about like us is Coast Guard swimmers. We, we, there is such a small, unique elite group of us and there's nothing like it. I have, and I've been around the world, so. It's just pretty cool. And now, oh, sorry, I haven't worked with anybody in Norway or Ireland or down in uh, Australia or anything, but just for our group of guys, man, we have such a good time and, and all the conversations are just amazing. So, but anyway, well, for everybody else out there, if you don't mind, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit of background about you, uh, how you got into the Coast Guard and how you became a rescue swimmer. Um, so, yeah, I'm Jason Orsborn. I, uh, uh, like I said, I went to boot camp in 1988. Um, I joined the Coast Guard because of, I'm sure you've heard of the show. I doubt you watched them, but Miami Vice. Yeah, come on. Yeah. I love Miami Vice. Old so school. I knew uh, I was 17 years old. My parents had to sign off for me to go to boot camp. And I was on, I think they called it like delayed enlistment. But I knew I was going to go to the military. I knew I didn't want to go have any further schooling at that point. Um, so watching Miami Vice, I saw the Coast Guard on there. It looked exciting. I wanted to live around water and get out of the Midwest. I was from Columbus, Ohio. Um, so, the yeah, Ohio. 
the Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> Still a huge fan. Of My course, you are. are you guys allowed to be a fan of any other team? I'm just curiosity. Um, no, even so. look, yeah, my 18-year-old son that was born and raised here in San Diego, it's his favorite sports team also. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, it lasts a lifetime. Yeah. Um, so two months uh, after graduating high school, I shipped off to Cape May. Um, and, yeah, I was really young, uh, excelled in boot camp, loved it. Um, went to a small boat station, Indian River Inlet, just across the bay from Cape May. Is in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Um, I wasn't sure at that point what I wanted to do in the Coast Guard, but I so I got to the small boat station. We had back then a 44 footer, two 41s, and then some small boats, like 21 footers to work the back bays. So I saw some decent SAR there, got to do CPR. Um, so I knew at that point I wanted to take the search and rescue to the next level. Um, nice. And so we would we would do ops with Cape May and with their helicopters and their helicopters would come land on our helo pad. And I got to talk to some of the air crew. Um, and then there was a fireman, a non-rate at the small boat station that was on the ASM list. And I read more into it and um, yeah, went through that process and got put on the list. And I think I waited, well, what I went to boot camp in 88, uh, went to school in 91. So it was still like a two year wait at that point. But yeah, I, I look at myself as one of the OGs um, because I know I'm number 280, but we, um, at that point, I went through Elizabeth City, the full training there, but yep. that um, set us up to go down. I had to go to Pensacola for a month also. Um, so yeah, that's how, that's how I, um, became an ASM. Man, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's like, uh, it's almost like just kind of smooth sailing all the way through minus the two year wait to get there. <laughs> no, but once you get to school, it's far from smooth sailing. Oh um, no. Yeah. <clears throat> I was a terrible swimmer. I don't know what I was thinking, even going, I mean, I could swim. I used to like surf in Rehoboth beach and boogie board and, you know, to be able to be in the Coast Guard, you got to be able to swim. They prove that in boot camp and they test you. But little did I know, I think my entry, it's embarrassing, but it just shows how hard I worked my and I'm, I know I'm not the only one. I think my first whatever it was, 400 meter, or 400 yard swim was over 15 minutes at Elizabeth City. <laughs> the senior chief of the school straight up told me, and I think Butch Flight did too, you're not making it through this school. Um <laughs> So all I did was get advice. I had strong swimmers in my class. And who's in uh, your class? Um, so I had Pat Bodenshot. Yeah. Um, I think he might have gone to Detroit. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, we might get into it later, but that's one of my big regrets is not being or it's hard to stay in touch with these people. But yeah. um, so I had uh, Pat Bodenshot, I had Mike Grabowski, and I had uh, Mike Anderson. And I think Mike Anderson later became a pilot. Nice. Uh, yeah. um, all I did was improve my technique for the crawl stroke so I could uh, become stronger. And yeah, I just fought my way through. You know, you had to. And I knew I wasn't dropping. They would have to kill me before I would quit <laughs> that. Go to a buoy tender or one of the icebreakers. Yeah. Dude, that's the mindset to get through. That's freaking awesome. Good for you you're you're not gonna make it yeah 
It's a little fire yeah, under the ass there, right? That's what that is. I, <laughs> I wish I remembered the senior chief's name, but yeah, I mean, I remember just, yeah, popping my head up after 15 minutes and him saying, yeah, you're not graduating from the school. And, <laughs> but I, I fought and fought and got better. And I mean, that at that point, I think I was 18 or 19 years old and that taught me the work, at, work ethic and strength for everything that I've ever done in life. You know, it began there. Yeah. That's killer. All right. So now you get all the way through school, you bust your ass, like just like the rest of us. What was your first? Oh, actually, I have your first case is what I have, because your first case was out of um, Air Station uh, Port Angeles. Air Station Port Angeles. That's right. So Air Station Port Angeles. And I have the write up right here. And if you're cool with it, I'm going to read this and then you got to backtrack it from kind of like just getting qualified. All right. Perfect. Cool. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Achievement Medal to Jason S. Orsborne, Aviation Survivalman, Third Class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Orsborne is cited for superior performance of duty while serving as rescue swimmer aboard H65-65. 6529 on 15 June 1991, engaging in a rescue of three people in the water from an overturned skiff near the western portion of Hood Canal Bridge. Arriving on scene, Pedasso Orsborne was deployed into the south side of the bridge where the civilian scuba diver directed him towards one of the victims. Battling 20 knot winds and choppy waves, Pedasso Orsborne worked his way around through the floating debris and the oily water while being pushed against the bridge pylons by the strong current. While searching through the debris, Petty Officer Orsborne found an unconscious five-year-old child. Petty Officer Orsborne quickly assessed the child's condition and towed him 150 feet upwind and against the strong current. Once safely clear of the bridge, he checked for a pulse and signaled the helicopter to move in for pickup. When the helicopter was overhead, he placed the child in the basket, who was immediately hoisted and taken to the medical personnel waiting on shore. Petty Officer Osborne then made a return swim to the bridge to assist the civilian scuba diver who had found a man face down in the water and unconscious. Taking over, Petty Officer Osborne towed the man away from the bridge and transferred the patient to a Navy small boat that had arrived on scene. Petty Officer Osborne then made a difficult swim to open water where he was hoisted by the helicopter. The helicopter crew then landed nearby highway to embark the five-year-old child and the medical attendant for transport to a Seattle trauma center. Pedestal Orsborne's professionalism, actions, and extreme demanding situation directly contributed to the success of this mission. Pedestal Osborne's diligence, perseverance, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dude, that is one heck of a like opening case. Welcome to being a swimmer. What? Yeah, it was uh yeah, it was exciting. So yeah, the way that day went down, I um it was one of my first duty days, if not my first duty day. It was June up in northern Washington. Um so yeah, we were eating lunch and the SAR alarm went off. And so they launched us for, I think the information we got was a capsized vessel over towards Seattle. Um, we got there pretty quickly. Um, it's a cool area up there. You got to fly over mountains and 
Um, so we get on scene, uh, as you mentioned, it was at the Hood Canal Bridge, uh, which is a very long, tall bridge. Um, to be able to assess the situation, believe it or not, our, our pilot, I think it was Lieutenant Commander Gary Odom, um, flew under the bridge. Oh, uh, sick. Yeah. We saw people in trouble. Um, that, that was the hardest part of the case was staying away from that bridge um, so we could perform the operations that we had to. They put me in the water. Um, I think the award got it wrong a little bit. Um, the first person that I found was, um, so I guess a breakdown of who the people were, that it was a grandfather, his daughter, and her two children, her two young children. Um, the grandfather was a retired Olympia, like police chief. Okay. Um, he, he was the first person that I came across. Um, he was floating face down, like over in a bunch of trash, like near one of the pontoons. Um, I flipped him over. I knew just by the trauma that I wasn't going to be able to help him. Um, I had heard that there were children in the water. So I know I broke a big rule, but I took my SAR one off and I put it on him to keep him afloat so we wouldn't lose him. Wow. Um, That's actually pretty smart. I like, so for, for my world, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there. My world, like I never had the SAR one. I always had the, the Triton and then the Trisar or the Trisar and then the Triton. So you couldn't take that off that. That's a pretty, that's a good move. Yeah. So I popped it. Yeah. I, I pulled it off and put it on him. So I wouldn't lose him because there were, yeah, I don't know what kind of body of water you would call it, but there were seas and there were um, high winds and everything was moving around pretty fast. But just to secure him, I put the SAR one on him so we wouldn't lose him. And then I went searching and unfortunately came across um, a five-year-old boy who was also floating face down. Um, as the award mentioned, yeah, it took a lot of work to get away from the bridge to be able to get him in the helicopter to get him the help that he needed. But I yeah. did uh, rescue breathing and... Um, so I did rescue breathing the best that I could, uh, swimming away from the bridge uh, to be able to hoist him. We got him hoisted. Um, they brought me up. We went and landed on land on the other side of the bridge. They had an a ALS unit with a paramedic yeah. um, over there. So, and I knew he could do more than what we were trained to do. Um, the last time that I saw the little boy, he was breathing and had a pulse and i thought it was at that point the greatest day of my life um wow. that i was able to do that i know they were in the water for a while it was june but it was washington i imagine the water was still in the 30s or the 40s yeah um so they left me in my wet dry suit on the bridge and they the 65 took off and flew him with the paramedic to a trauma center in seattle um so then a sheriff picked me up and took me to a nearby airfield. Yeah. And so at that point, I didn't know anything else until I got back to the air station later. But at that point, once again, I was top of the world because I thought that the, you know, the kid was alive and that he was going to be okay. Um, we get to the airfield. I'm sitting there on a bench waiting, um, just waiting for the helicopter to come pick me up. And you know, you've been through all this. I don't, I only flew in a 60 once, so I don't know what their process is, but so they, unfortunately, when they were coming in to pick me up and I tried to wave them off, they did a wheels up landing at that airfield. 
Oh um, no. So, yeah. So that just added to the trauma of that day. But so we had to leave the helicopter there and wait for the air station to launch another 65 to come pick us up. And then if I remember right, they took us straight somewhere to draw blood and take urine because we had a major accident. Um, and then oh my I gosh. Think, yeah, we got back to the air station maybe eight or eight or nine that night. And then that's when I found out that the boy didn't make it. Um, but Jeez, so what the hell? That's a freaking crazy day. My grandfather passed, the boy passed, the mom was okay, and the daughter was okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, from that moment on, obviously, the way I look at everything changed. Yeah. Um, and then it only intensified. I have young kids, um, I have three daughters, a nine year old, a five year old, and a baby at one year old. Right and now, you of, do. Yeah. And then my 18 year old son. But once kids get to that age, um, you know, the, it bothers me. That's when, it, I mean, it always bothered me, but once you have your own kids, you look at things different, but yeah, uh, like I said, it changed my life forever that day. Wow. Dang, man. So I was not expecting you to say that the helicopter had a wheels up landing and just crushed the belly of the aircraft on landing. Yeah, and I don't remember the extent of the damage, but I was always one of those guys in the back that when we were going through the checklist for landing, I would say wheels down five times, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, just going through that checklist, especially after that. But yeah, I wave him off. But that pilot, the pilot was so cool that uh, he was our XO also. But I was sitting there in a wet, dry suit all day. He took off his flight suit and sat there in whatever underwear he had to give me his flight suit so that I wouldn't sit in there freezing in my dry suit anymore. Wow. But that, that's how you mentioned everyone being tight knit. Swimmers are tight knit. Everybody at the air station was tight knit. And that was an awesome air station. That was at the bit, you know, relatively um, the beginning of, um, you know, the swimmer program. And I've heard you mention with other guys how, you know, that, uh, some of the air stations were hesitant to use the swimmers for anything. Yeah. That wasn't the case up there. I don't think we did a ton of search and rescue up there, you know, compared to what I saw in San Diego. Um, but I mean, they, they were always, you know, they adapted and they wanted to use us and we were respected and part of the air crew. Um, but yeah, the wheels of planning sucked and I wish it wouldn't. <laughs> you think? <laughs> the, whole day, the whole day sucked, but um yeah dang but, man uh, you know i'm sorry it's and then so that uh the xo set up for the next week which i kind of wish it didn't happen but everybody that was involved that day there were you know tons of people involved in that rescue we met like over in seattle with the family with the mom and i think the daughter was there um so wow. that was rough yeah i wish that I think the daughter was maybe nine or 10 years old. So now that would put her in what, 40 years old. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I wish that, I guess it would make me feel better even if I could talk to those people just to see how everything turned out for them. And, you know, it's been a long time. It's literally been 30 years, but yeah, it ended up being the worst day of my life, but it drove me to, 
it was cool that, I mean, I was always prepared and school makes sure they won't let you out of there if you're not prepared. Right. But that did taught me too that, yeah, there's no messing around when it's, you got to do, you got to stay in shape and you got to, other people's lives are dependent on that. That's what I get paid to do. Um, so I was always in shape and great, but that upped the game for me too. That wow. But you just gave me chills. It's just so you know. That's crazy. Um, so, like after having that first case, you've upped your game. You're you're staying in good shape. You're ready for whatever they throw at you. Uh, is there anything else you had while you were in Port Angeles that stands out to you, or just no? Um, so what happened? What was actually I didn't like it up there because um, oh, okay. I was in, I was 20 years old. Um, it was a tiny town at the, I don't know how it is now, but they're only like 20,000 people. I love the air station. I just didn't like how desolate the area was. I was 20. Um, I wanted to be in a bigger city. Um, so what was cool was that, and I wish I remembered his name, but there was a new swimmer that got stationed in San Diego <clears throat> and he was a non-rate at Port Angeles. So but we did like, what do they call it? Like a lateral or a mutual? Yeah. So yep. we each we each so I was at Port Angeles for about a year, just over a year. He wanted to be in Port Angeles. I wanted to be in a bigger city, um, which was he was stationed at Air Station San Diego. So we did that lateral or mutual, whatever they called it. And I ended up driving. Um at that point, everything I owned could fit in the car. So I up to move down to San Diego and then yeah, I finished out my my time in the Coast Guard down here. I think I was down here for almost five years. Wow. Oh, you were down there for quite a while. That's pretty awesome. And I'm, That's still, pretty awesome. I'm still here. You're never leaving. Gosh. Uh, I've left. I've tried to leave. But <laughs> yeah, I moved away from school and then the family moved to Milwaukee for a couple of years for work. But yeah, I'm still the family's still in San Diego. All my kids were born here. Nice. Well, while you were down in San Diego, I have uh, an article that was written. I don't have the full newspaper. I just have the clipping that, that was that you had sent out. And this is uh, this is pretty cool. And with just out of curiosity, was this kind of the start of your like San Diego career, or was this, or I should say, your tour, your San Diego tour, or was this like somewhere in the middle? I think it was it was in the middle. Uh, yeah. We had a lot of action. Uh, a lot of action. The weather's nice here, but it's a lot of boaters, a lot of divers, a lot of fishing, um, a lot of military. So yeah, it was a really busy air station. Um, and yeah, I think that that was in the middle of my time here. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go into this one right now and then we can kind of bounce around to other ones you remember, or we can hold this until a little later. Up to you. Uh, now go for it. All right, let's do this. So the article is, like I said, just a clipping out of it. It says, uh, dramatic rescue. Jason Orsborne was involved in a dramatic rescue in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of San Diego. Two F-14 Navy fighter jets collided last Friday afternoon. Each carried a pilot and a navigator whom all ejected safely. Three were picked up by the Navy. Osborne, 24, who had spent more than six years in the Coast Guard, for which he was a rescue swimmer, was dropped from the helicopter to rescue the fourth. After he secured a safety harness about the pilot, they were hoisted into the helicopter. 
What made the rescue a bit risky was the presence of sharks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on, man. Yep. That, that was a crazy day, too. That was, and it was Friday the 13th in January. Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> so you get like the, I can, I can see this one happen, especially with like the Navy being so close there in San Diego. SAR alarm goes off, get the Radiate 60 on the line. Air, you know, uh, two fighter jets collided, pilots down or pilot down go right and they yeah the, so they were f-14s and that was when miramar was a navy air station now it's marine corps and these were top gun guys and mm. so the guy that i the guy that i ended up pulling out was the commanding officer of top gun what um, yeah so there's a lot to this one and i mean everything that you learned at especially what i learned at pensacola all the disentanglement and you know it was all put together that day but we were, I think it was lunchtime again for this one. The alarm goes off for a plane crash, I think 100 miles off Mexico. Um, we launch, we get out there. It's as, did you ever get to fly in the 65s? Yes, sir. Quite so a bit, we had actually. Weight, yeah, we always had weight problems. So it was a, a fine line of the game that you're playing. So we get out there pretty far offshore and we had to dump fuel. Um, so... Going back to uh, they, the article said that they rescued that the Navy rescued three of them. Well, mm -hmm. there's a reason why they didn't get the fourth. We didn't have communications with the Navy for one some reason, um, and the reason that they didn't go in after this other guy who was the commanding officer at Top Gun was because there were sharks spotted in the water. We didn't know that, um, so we get on scene. The pilot, there's no question. I mean, of course, I'm going in. Right. Um, they put me in the water. Uh, the pilot's tangled in his parachute. Um, he's in a raft. Um, I, to the best that I can, sneak up behind him and pop his raft and pull him out. And he fights me and calls me a dumbass for popping his raft. And don't you see that in the water? Um, so he knew that there was a shark. Um, Holy smoke. Yeah. And so, well, to make the situation even worse, the helicopter, um, I forget how we did it those days. Maybe it was on that little tiny World War II radio that we use, but they uh, the PRC 90. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they over torqued the head and they told me they were leaving me and that oh. they were going to somebody else out. And I called an emergency. And so they didn't leave me, <clears throat> but I had, they had to wait for me to disentangle him. So going back, I pull him out of the raft. He fought me. I rolled him. So I rolled a, a captain um, and got him disentangled. Um, I forget if I put him in the basket or how I got him up in the helicopter, but I ended up getting him up in the helicopter. And the first I still have it in my safe at home and I have a picture of it on my phone. I ripped his Top Gun patch off of his flight suit and kept it. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah. So I still have it. Um, which is really cool. One of the coolest things that I have, but so, yeah, we flew him back. We have a big, uh, medical, uh, military medical center here called Balboa. Uh, they have a helicopter pad. We dropped him off there. And when we got back to the air station, there were news trucks everywhere waiting to, to interview us or interview me. And that's what I did for the rest of the day was talk about what happened. Dang. But yeah, that, 
That was a cool one. Like I said, just about everything that you that you learned in school from, you know, fighting somebody in the water to popping rafts to parachute disentanglement. Um, I got to do that day, which was cool. Holy smoke. That's crazy. All right. So I, I'm going to ask kind of a couple of details. So I've, I've never dealt with an aviator down myself. Um, so there, you know, during school, we always talk about going, trying to swim up current or up wind so that the parachute's taken down. Was it pretty easy to disentangle once you were there or? What just proves how awesome our instructors and our training was with that because uh, I, if I remember, isn't there like 20 steps to doing parachute? Yeah. Go down. If you clear the one or, yeah, Head, neck, and chest, know. arms, waist. And I, <laughs> I always heard rumors of pilots drowning because somebody messed it up. So yeah. obviously you take that stuff serious, but that just to come in and to give credit to our training, I don't even think I ever had to think twice of what I was doing, that it all just came. It was a long time ago, but I think it just came naturally um so the way that i was taught and that it happened the way that they said it would happen if i did it right yeah so yeah i just went through the steps and i don't remember the details that much and what made it worse was that i knew the helicopter had an emergency and i really couldn't take my time plus as you know with the 65s being i think we we're 100 miles offshore we had to have enough fuel to obviously oh, yeah. get us safely yeah, you're fighting against time right then, like literally minutes. So yeah, they'll just leave you. You know, they'll drop a raft and leave you. In shark-infested water. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jason, that's crazy. Uh, so in, in the little battle that you had in the water, was he disorientated or just kind of pissed off that you just kind of popped his raft because he's he seeing sharks? Oh. He was pissed. And he he had chosen words for me that I won't say on here and cuss me out but yeah he fought me he wanted nothing to do with me um and remember it's a navy captain he was a commanding officer one of the most elite bases in the world probably yeah uh so yeah I, I rolled him I put him underwater to chill him out and add just like in training, it shows him who's in charge you know oh my god dude I love you right now that's freaking badass <laughs> At that point, I was in charge, but yeah. yeah. More, I, so the next, he um, he came and saw me. Um, the next, I think it was the next week at the base, he brought me a bottle of Crown Royal, and they told me I'd already gone through. I was uh, what what's it called? Egress. Yeah, the egress training. Get, yeah. So I was an egress trainer, and I had already been through the elevation training. I forget what they call that, but I had already been through all the training to where I was qualified to fly in one of those jets to be a passenger oh wow um, so he um you know it's a huge military town here so we did a lot of cool stuff um so he told me i could fly rio with him i could fly in the back of the f-14 with him that, never, that would have been the best thing ever to happen but he ended up rumor had it he lost his command and lost his wings um, they were messing around that's why they collided so that's why that never happened for me unfortunately but the good news is all we lost two aircraft that day but all four guys the two pilots and the two rios made it out our crew was safe so ended up being a positive experience wow 
Dang, man. And you get a bottle of Crown out of it. So that's a bonus, too. Exactly. <laughs> that was cool. Of them. And a Top Gun patch. And a Top Gun patch. Dude, that's kind of like the movie. Yeah, it was very, the similarities are funny, you know. Dang. Wow. Good deal. What a good case. Yeah, so you, awesome. you had mentioned you actually had quite a few in San Diego. Um, what, what else you got? Because I'm now, now you got me like engrossed. Yeah, so we did, like I said, it was a busy air station. We did a lot of medevacs. Um, we did, so they do the, I never went through this. They have the cliff rescue training that you have to go through now in Astoria, correct? Yeah, uh, well, it's, so the, when I got out, and I've been out for a little while, but from what I understand, all the swimmers eventually get up to Astoria, Oregon to go through advanced swim school, which has the cliff rescue stuff. And um, a lot of the units out there that have cliffs, are. I was doing it in Alaska, Humboldt Bay, um, and those guys train it a lot up there. But yeah. Yeah, so we did. We were doing cliff rescue before there was – before we were trained in it and we kind of came up with our own, our chief Brad Torrens. Um, oh, I don't nice. know if you ever met. Him. Good dude. Yeah. He, I met him when I was a non-rate, he was at air station Cape May and he kind of guided me along the way of getting to be an ASM. Um, he also rode Harley Davidson's and that's the industry I'm in now too. So yeah, I owe some to Brad. Brad was a great shop leader. Um, so uh yeah we had a couple of exciting cliff rescues they we had one there's a beach here called black's beach or tory pines uh with real uh, steep cliffs and somebody had fallen down the cliff we got launched for that um dump fuel all over a beach neighborhood here on by accident i guess it didn't the fuel didn't dissipate um on our way there and we got in some trouble for that but they yeah. hey, you're in california so, buddy <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, on, the, on that note, I was thinking last night. Um, so we were one of the only, well, of course, the Navy has helicopters, but they're not trained in what we're trained in. So back then in the 90s, uh, we were like the only rescue helicopter that there was around. So they, they kind of used us for everything. Now the lifeguards and the fire department, everybody has a helicopter here. So back then, it was just the police um, and us. Um, and we were the only helicopter that would have the ability to hoist. So we flew out to Black's Beach. They used, I don't remember how, do you know how long the cable is on a 65? Uh, and probably, I think it's 190 feet off the top of my head. Sorry for everybody that flies a 65. The one I'm using now is 290 usable feet. But I think, I think the 65 has a, a 200 foot cable off the top of my head. Well, they used all of it because of the situation that we were in yeah. and I got beat pretty good. Um, but, and that was an odd area too, because of concerns of brownout with the cliff and with sand at the top of the hill. Oh, um, dang. We, okay. So we ended up rescuing that person. That was a good cliff rescue. Then I had another one uh, that we briefly talked about before. There was a, a person trying to, a lady trying to cross the border from Mexico yeah. Um, in a desolate area here down south. And um, she was pregnant and she fell down a cliff. Um, so I did a cliff rescue with the litter on that one. Um, she was in labor. Um, so I did what I could in the back of the 65 ready to give birth to the baby. And I was hoping <laughs> that it would happen. But 
Um, so I had her all ready to go, but we ended up making it to the hospital before. So I didn't get to, yeah, it's one thing I never got to do that I wish I did was get to deliver a baby in the back of the helicopter. But yeah, I, I haven't done that either. Yeah, we did tons of medevacs. We did a lot with cruise ships here. Um, uh, I did a lot of CPR with, um, you know, heart attack, people having heart attacks on cruise ships. And the big challenge here for that was um, that a lot of the time there was a language barrier. Some of the cruise yeah. ships would come up from Mexico and none of the crew would be able to speak English. Um, so I would get put down on the cruise ship, package the person, do what I could. Um, I had on one of the cruise ships, a little kid, I think under five years old, get their finger chopped off in a door. Ooh. Uh, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's another one that haunts me now. And like as recent as last night, my one-year-old was, you know, near a door. If they're within a foot of a door, I get them away from it just because of what I saw happen that day. Holy um, cow. Yeah, we, we did. So there's a lot of fishing and diving here. Um, they out off Catalina Island, we got launched once for, is probably the craziest thing I saw. The, a guy had a giant fish hook. Um, he was on a fishing boat. He had a giant fish hook through his bicep. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. so they put, and he was wasted. He was drunk. Um, there wasn't much we could do for him. We, we can't push drugs. So uh, if I remember right, I just stabilized it with a couple of styrofoam cups and we flew him to a trauma center. Dang. Um, yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of searches, um, a lot of diving accidents. They have, a uh, what are they called? Dive chambers. Yes. To help yep. The hyperbaric so, chamber. Yep. Exactly. So they had one out on Catalina Island, which is probably, what is it? I think it's like 30 or 40 miles off LA. Um, so we'd fly people out there. They had another one in Long Beach. Um, but no, San Diego was busy and awesome. I quote unquote had the luck of the draw. It seemed like every duty day I was doing something, which kept it exciting. But um yeah, I mean, it's the reason why you get into the this rate is to help people and to save people, yeah. and that's what ended up happening here. Well, you said yeah. when you got when you're on the boat, you wanted to go to the next level. You got it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it all worked out perfect, and that yeah, I wanted to stay in San Diego, so um, the detailer was trying to get me out of here. At that point, I was a second class. And so I just chose to get out. I was only 25 years old. I'd already put in eight years. You know, there's regrets that, you know, I should have stayed in and done my 20 and what other action I missed out on. But yeah, I've, who knows where I would have ended up, but everything's worked out. Yeah, well, you got a good thing going right now. Uh, you and I actually talked a little bit beforehand. So you uh, own your own motorcycle shop down in San Diego, right? Correct. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. So you, you get out of the Coast Guard and you open this and. Um, now the way that happened was I went, so I got out of the Coast Guard. I was in the surf industry for a little bit and, um, and also like bartended trying to figure out what the next step was. And so I used my GI bill and picked up and moved away to Phoenix for about a year, year and a half and went to uh, Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. And so I took the Harley Davidson program there in the early 2000s, um, came back, uh, went to a custom shop, worked there a couple of years. I ended up working in a, the dealership 
network for Harley Davidson for about 15 years. Um, as I mentioned before, I went, I moved back to, I got hired on by Harley corporate, the manufacturer. Sweet. Good for you. Yeah, so we moved back to Milwaukee for that. Um, the family hated the weather. Our family was here. Um, so we came back, worked at the dealership for a couple of years. Um, I wasn't into that environment anymore. So I, um, had the guts to, with the help of my wife, uh, open my own little shop here. Yeah, I do a lot of customization. Um, like I told you before, I'd say 75, easily 75% of my clientele's uh, military or veterans, which is cool. Um, some swimmers. Yeah, that's awesome. Some Navy, Navy swimmers. Uh, Richie from up in Sacramento, he's a ASM up there. Um, he stopped down to see my shop, but yeah, it's uh, cool. I get to, it's a lot of work. I put in long days, but it gives you the freedom to do this kind of stuff too, you know. But Dude, yeah, cool. that's killer, man. I love it. Well, the next time I come to San Diego, you know I'm going to be calling you, right? Yeah, I'm going to send you. You got to email me or DM me or I'll send you a t-shirt and a hat, a little care package. Oh, snap. Yeah. You hear that, everybody? I get a t-shirt. What's up? Yeah, my, my, <laughs> my shop, uh, it's called Orzies. My nickname growing up was Orzi for Orsborne. It's Orzi Speed Shop in San Diego in the Point Loma area. Sick. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm totally coming to visit you, man. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll at least sit on a motorcycle with it. I probably, I don't know. Oh, maybe you'll let me take it out, but maybe. Right. Yeah, <laughs> crazy these days trying to ride in Southern California. Oh, People are crazy. yeah. Ridiculous. So, well, I'll tell you what, man, I, you know, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and really just sharing all the stories, but uh, before I totally let you go, if you don't mind, just the floor is going to be open to you and any advice that you might have from as simple as, you know, getting to swimmer school, what the mindset has to be to what you're doing outside of the Coast Guard now and how to get involved and stuff like that, or, you know, whatever, what advice would you give some of the younger guys that are coming up? Yeah, it would be, I mean, <clears throat> anybody can make it, um, just being better, be a better swimmer than I was, I guess, when you get to school. There's tons of programs out there that now help you prepare and and kind of guide you to what you're going to go against. Um, it's tough. It's, I've heard you say it's by far the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, yeah. But me too. Well, me for sure. No, no option. Literally, they would have to kill me. So I wasn't going to quit that. There's no way I was quitting. That's the mindset that you got to have. Um, so you got to be in perfect physical shape, but everybody there should be, then it's all mental. Uh, they're trying to break you down. They're trying to get you to quit because when you're put in that situation, a hundred miles offshore fighting a pilot in a parachute with sharks around you, you can't quit at that point. So that's why the instructors, you know, that's why and the one you've had them on and it was one of the, the best ones that you've done, but that the, the way that Butch Flyth pushed us, um, yeah. You know, that I always think back to that guy um, and he beat the crap out of us, but that's what we, you got to be ready, you know? Yeah. Um, he was like the senior I, chief when I was there and he beat the crap out of us. <laughs> he was the first class, first class when I was there. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess the only, and the only regrets I would have is that there, I wish there was a better network to, 
to stay in touch with people. Um, you know, that, like I mentioned, the guys that I went to school with, I haven't talked to since. Um, yeah. And the, unfortunately, the three people, the three swimmers that I was the closest with when I was in, they've all passed. Um, did you know Sean Whaley? I, I know the name more than anything else. Yeah. So we went to school together. He was a class ahead of me and um, he has family here in San Diego. So we always stayed in touch. Um, and then Chris Tate, who was a swimmer here with me. Um, yeah, he passed back in the early 2000s. And then Kevin Deach. Um, he was up in Port Angeles with me, but um, those were the guys I was uh, the closest with. And um, yeah, so I wish I had more communication. So if you guys, if any swimmers listen to this, hit me up um, my Instagram for my shop or any way that you can get in touch with me. Um, the other regret, I guess, and I don't know how to really explain it or give advice for it is that, as I mentioned, some things that I saw and did bothered me and they never got easier if anything they got worse and I used to drink to help me sleep or help me forget about it I'm two years clean from that now good for you um, I, yeah I know that you're walking a fine line when you're in the military and you got to be careful what you say or they'll and you can't be on certain medications and um so you got to watch, you got to watch what you say exactly. But if things are bothering you, don't let it build up because it's not going to get any easier for you. There's, yeah, whatever you got to do, meditate, work out, uh, talk to somebody in the shop. Um, but yeah, don't let that stuff come haunt you later in life. Because like I mentioned, uh, when I have the stuff that I dealt with with children bothered me a lot. And when you get kids that age, um, it just gets worse and it's not getting any easier anytime. But like I told you off air too, the VA has been awesome with me. I give them props and um, my wife being able to explain stuff to her. Um, but yeah, just have somebody to talk to and get through it because it will build up and haunt you. And there's a lot of good stuff that we do, the bad stuff or the gore that you see. Um, I couldn't let it roll off my back. Some people can, right? but yeah, just, if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody. If Absolutely. You need, I'm, here, I'm here to talk to anybody because I've, I've seen it and felt it. You know what? Thank you for that. It, and I'll say that for me too. You know, if anybody out there, you know, we're all here as brothers to help. And I truly mean that, you know, we've had conversations with guys in the past. It's just, you know, Mike O'Dell being one of them. Uh, Olaf of Albion, another, you know, George Cavallo, like just these guys, people are here to, to talk to, give us a call, send us an email. I'm all about it. Yeah. That's why I do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's why I like listening. I mean, I'm so glad that I stumbled across this just by searching. I think I searched rescue swimmer, coast guard rescue swimmer on ice. Uh, yeah. And that it's soothing to me and I kind of have a routine with it, but yeah, it's awesome to hear your podcast because you, it made me feel, I think it was Mike O'Dell's and I re-listened to it in the last day or two um, that I'm not the only one that feels that way, you know, because we're all tough guys. You got to be to make it through the stuff that we made it through. Yep. Um, but yeah, he said it perfectly too. So I like to listen to that. It's motivating to me. I like to hear that I'm not the only one that feels the weird stuff. Yeah. 
You are not, my friend. You are not. And we are all here as brothers to uh, to help anytime we need. So, Jason, thank you for all the advice, the stories. Dude, I love this. I love this. This is awesome. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. And it's, I mean, it's, yeah, unreal that I get to be on it. Because like I said, I've listened to all your episodes. So yeah, it's really cool. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, in that case, I'm going to let you go for the evening because you got bikes to sell. I'm just saying. Bikes to work on. My bikes to work on. Bikes to work on. Whatever. (laughs) Awesome. Well, have a good day. All right, dude. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Quinny. Absolutely. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.